Shalom, Nishpocha. It's been a few minutes since we've done a new Kadima recording, but I've been on the road almost continuously for the last two months, right on the heels of the feast days. It's been a very busy time of conferences and awakening the voice of truth with Dr. Washington, the fall feast days, Thanksgiving. I pray your holidays were well as we're looking forward to coming into Hanukkah in just a few more weeks. But today's Kadima talk, how God raises a leader. Starting in Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5, a psalm by David. Bless Adonai, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Adonai, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassions. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. The benefits of trusting the Lord listed in this text correspond to the stages Adonai uses in building someone into a healthy spiritual leader. The psalmist David lists the benefits in this order. One, God forgives your offenses in verse three. Leaders must put their past shame or blames behind them. Salt represents the never-ending covenant, and we are the eternal representation of God's covenant through Yeshua, and we're to have that covenant in us. In Mark 9, verse 50, it says, salt is excellent. But if it loses its saltiness, how will you season it? So have salt in yourselves, that is, be at peace with each other. We are to have the salt of the covenant in us so that we can have peace with each other. Psalms 133 reveals, Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. According to Yeshua's words, we represent that salt. And if it goes bad, we'll be thrown away because it becomes useless. The enemy will make us, you, the salt useless by removing our identity. And how did he, How does he do this? Shame. I believe I can speak from the heart here with knowledge and authority. We as a Jewish people have been suffering persecution for over 3,000 years. For us, the Inquisition, the Holocaust were about removing identity. Even the story of Hanukkah is about removing our identity. And the symptoms are you always feel under the gun. Everyone hates us. Sometimes even our own family misunderstands us or in some cases even disowns us. This all leads to shame. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety, a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute, something that brings censure or reproach. Shame in Hebrew is bushah, whose root word is booze, which is contempt, a lack of respect, being despised. Shame is a deep sense of unworthiness that keeps you from reaching the fullness of your leadership ability. Job records this predicament. Job 10, verse 15, if I'm wicked, woe to me. But if righteous, I still don't dare raise my head because I'm so filled with shame, so soaked in my misery. If a person or people experiences humiliation often enough or intensely enough or constantly enough, they may come to the conclusion that they ought to be humiliated. Then shame becomes internalized and poses a fundamental threat to a person or people's identity. Shame will remove your identity and authority. Shame can come from oppression, divorce, sexual abuse, rejection, including being raised by a single parent, sex outside of marriage, drug or alcohol abuse, homosexuality, even rebellion in life. The enemy will get you so low that you believe you're getting what you deserve. God has guaranteed us the victory over shame. Isaiah 54 verse 4 says, Don't be afraid, for you won't be ashamed. Don't be discouraged, for you won't be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth. No longer remember the dishonor of being widowed. Zephaniah 3 verse 9 says, When that time comes, I will deal with all those who oppress you. I will save her who is lame, gather her who is driven away, and make those whose shame spread over the earth the object of praise and renown. 
Shame must be dealt with first so that you may fulfill your destiny in the kingdom. Those who are called to be leaders within the body of believers in this land, who you are in Yeshua is your identity. Number two, God forgives offenses in verse three. Leaders must become healthy and be liberated from old wounds and offenses. Proverbs 17 verse nine says, he who conceals an offense promotes love, but he who harps on it can separate even close friends. Offense or offended is to transgress moral or divine law, i.e. sin. To violate a law or rule, to do wrong, offend against the law. To cause dislike, anger, or vexation, thoughtless words that offend needlessly. To cause pain and hurt. We're commanded by God to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. To become offended is to sin against God. Yeshua said in Luke 17, verse 1, Then he said to the Talmudim, It is impossible that no offense... And this is in the Greek scandalon, which is the Greek word for scandal, offense, thing that offends, a stumbling block, the movable stick or trigger of a trap, a trap stick, a snare, any impediment placed in the way, causing one to stumble or fall. He said to his Talmudim, his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. An offense is a violation, a wrong, to cause pain or hurt through thoughtless words or actions, which becomes a stumbling block, a trigger, a trigger stick of a trap that ensures, impedes you, causing you to stumble or fall. It's not a question of if you'll be offended, because you will. Yeshua said it's impossible that there won't be any traps or snares. In fact, just about every day, the trap or snare of offense is placed before you. The question is, how will you respond? What we just learned from Yeshua's words in Luke 17 is that the snare or trap of offense takes you captive. A trap has two specific conditions. The trap is hidden and is baited. And the bait draws you in, and because it's hidden, it springs shut and snares you. This is how Hasitan uses offense. He incorporates the same exact strategies to lure you into his trap. It's hidden. It's made scent free so that you're unaware it's a trap. The trap also has bait so you'll be drawn right into that snare. And what is the bait? <laughs> offense. Remember, it's not a question of if offense will come. It's when. The question is, will you take the bait? Offense itself isn't dangerous unless you take it. You pick it up, you take it to heart, and mull it over. Consume it, which like poison consumes and darkens our heart with its fruit, which is hurt, anger, jealousy, resentment, divisiveness, bitterness, unforgiveness, outrage, indignation, shame, and finally lashing out at those who were behind the offense. Wounding, broken relationships, betrayal, backsliding, apostasy from God as the result. Coupled with this is depression, physical sickness, and hatred towards the place and people where the perceived offenses happen, which is often places of worship. The offended begin to hop around, congregation to congregation, never settling down, running away every time something happens, looks, smells, or feels like the original offense. They are continuously paranoid, always on the outlook for the next offense, keeping people at a distance, overcompensating for their shallow relationships and paranoia. What's really happening? They're trapped. They're caught in that snare. Hasetan has them right where he wants them, ineffective leaders. The only answer is to repent of unforgiveness and offense. It must be totally released and laid down so Yeshua can pick it up. As long as you hold on to offense, the trap has you. Yeshua can't take it up if you won't release it. We have to give up our rights in being wrong. There must be forgiveness. Have you been wronged or offended? Have you been placed into a position that you didn't deserve or had nothing to do with, but you've been blamed, maybe even held accountable for something, even though it wasn't your fault? I would say that that answer is yes for every one of us. If you've been offended knowingly or unknowingly and currently retain, have, or are holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, and hate, you're trapped, you're ensnared by Hasetan, and you're living, working in the flesh. Shaul states that hatred, jealousies, outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, and envyings are works of the flesh. 
in Galatians 5, 20 through 21. You can spend your time in anger and hatred, spend time and energy trying to vindicate yourself, sit around waiting for an apology that may never come, or you'll recognize the trap and snare of Hasitana, forgive and release, obtaining freedom. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you yours. People hurt people. Hurting people hurt the people closest to them. Holding on to an offense will make you resentful and angry. Destructive emotions that deplete your energy and make you a negative, bitter person. When you focus on your offenses and past wrongs, you're looking backwards, away from God. It's imperative to be a successful and effective leader that you lay all offenses down, release them, which is forgiveness, releasing you from the trap of offense. The whole purpose of Hasitan's trap is to capture you, divide you away from the body, and cause apostasy. That's the key. When in the grip of offense, everything in your life is filtered through that bitterness, hurt, shame, and rejection. After offense simmers and festers over time, intense anger, hatred, and bitterness sets in, setting the trap even harder to keep you from your kingdom, destiny, and your role as a leader. Number three, God redeems from verse four. They see their abilities and personality redeem. Redeem in Hebrew is pada, which means to ransom, to deliver, to redeem. God's act of redeeming. He redeemed us from slavery and Pharaoh in Egypt. To free from captivity by payment of ransom, to free from the consequences of sin. Yeshua died to redeem us from sin, to buy back, repurchase, to get or win back. Titus 2 verse 14 says, He gave himself for us so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, so that he might purify for himself a chosen people zealous for good deeds. Every one of us has been given a heavenly divine gift. Not everyone uses them for the kingdom. We all know many many singing superstars and actresses and actors in Hollywood that began singing in congregations that their parents were were pastors or messianic rabbis, yet now they're not using their gift honoring Adonai. Yeshua redeemed us from all sins to restore and to redeem our gifts back to the kingdom. Number four, God crowns from verse four. They are crowned with loving kindness and compassions. Crown is atar in Hebrew, literally a crown upon one's head. His people with a spiritual blessing, reflecting his image, granting of divine blessings to surround or encompass. Raham is compassion, mercy, and tender love. Luke 6, verse 36 says, show compassion just as your father shows compassion. There will always be divergent opinions about what traits are most important for strong leadership. But there's one trait every successful leader must have, compassion. While compassion isn't something you're born with, those who are wholeheartedly serving Adonai are crowned with it. A word of edification and encouragement goes a long way. Compassion has three components. Compassion states, I understand you. Compassion states, I feel for you. But careful here because it's empathy, not sympathy. Empathy is being aware of the situation and knowing what's occurring. Sympathy is getting involved in it, and that is not what an effective leader does. So compassion's three components are, I understand you, I feel for you, and number three, I want to help you. The most compelling benefit of compassion in the context of work is that compassion creates highly effective leaders. The practice of compassion is about sacrificing self to give to and help others. Compassion is about going from I to we. Number five, God satisfies from verse five. They feel satisfied and fulfilled as they live out their role. What is fulfillment? Fulfillment is satisfaction. It is the ultimate fruit of joy, being whole or perfected. On our own, we cannot be complete. We cannot be satisfied if we can't comprehend we are nothing without Adonai. We are equally nothing without Yeshua, the Messiah, or the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. 
If you wholeheartedly seek Adonai, Yeshua, and the Holy Spirit, you will find shalom, the, the area in your life without conflict, perfect peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. When God talks about satisfaction, he shares the way to fulfillment is love. I agree that it is our love for Adonai that brings us to completion, but also our love towards others. Psalms 103, verse 5, he satisfies your years with good things, but the preceding verse in this verse 4 says, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassions. Colossians 2, verse 2 says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged, they may be joined together in love, and that they may have all the riches derived from being assured of understanding and fully knowing God's secret truth, which is the Messiah. There's no higher calling, no greater satisfaction in life than working and serving in the kingdom serving and ministering to Adonai. We are all called to reveal Yeshua's salvation and redemption to non-believers and to reveal heaven's worth and value to fellow believers, to motivate them towards dedicated service of ministering to Adonai. The greatest satisfaction for any leader is the feeling of building and equipping people. Great leaders want to develop the next generation of leaders and see their potential reach new heights. Every individual is unique, created in God's image, yet no two of us are alike. Adonai knows you. He knows what he's working with. He sees the potential in each of us. When he called me to service personally, I struggled at first, knowing who I am and who I was, and I would habitually ask him, why me? And there are others way more qualified than me. He spoke correction to me. Adonai chooses whom he chooses. He reminded me that both Moshe and Shaul were murderers, and uh, for the record, I'm not a convicted felon or a murderer, but it put this into perspective for me that he chooses who he chooses. Adonai knows the giftings and potential in us that we can't see in ourselves. Sometimes others see our leadership potential, sometimes they don't. What is important for us to realize is that in Adonai's hands, we are the clay, he is the potter. We can become more than we could ever understand or imagine. By submitting to him, he begins to develop us, to transform us, to develop us, and raise up the leaders that are within us. Adonai selects and raises up men and women for leadership from many different cultures, races, and backgrounds. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. This is the one new humanity. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, Jew and Gentile. Adonai does not choose on the basis of nobility, notoriety, talent, beauty, or brawn. It's not a popularity contest. When Shmuel was seeking out Adonai's choice for the new king of Israel, he was told in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, But Adonai said to Shmuel, don't pay attention to how he looks or how tall he is because I have rejected him. Adonai doesn't see the way humans see. Humans look at the outward appearance, but Adonai looks at the heart. See, none of your outward appearances matter. Your gender, your height, your weight, your race, culture, ethnic heritage, your socioeconomic class, your physical abilities, your possessions, or your education or knowledge level. As Shaul shared in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 10, he said, but the things that used to be advantages to me I have, because of the Messiah, come to consider a disadvantage. Not only that, but I consider everything a disadvantage in comparison with the supreme value of knowing Messiah Yeshua as my Lord. It was because of him that I gave up everything and regarded all as garbage in order to gain the Messiah and be found in union with him, not having any righteousness of my own based on legalism, but having that righteousness which comes through the Messiah's faithfulness, the righteousness from God based on trust. Yes, I gave it all up in order to know him, that is to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings as I'm being conformed to his death. See, so all these previous things, all this education, all this knowledge, none of these things or lack of them will cause Adonai to overlook you when he chooses someone to be a leader for his glory in his kingdom. Great godly leaders come from both good and difficult upbringings. 
They come from favorable and unfavorable circumstances. They often arise from unjust treatment of suffering. None of the circumstances of your life will cause Adonai to reject you. It does not matter what you've done in your life that you may be ashamed of or embarrassed about. If it's been confessed, it's under the blood and it's forgiven. All the events and circumstances of your life are part of Adonai's preparation and testing for leadership. And I share this often. I I want you to pause and think about this. His 12 Talmudim, his disciples, these 12 men of God that changed the world, turned it upside down, none of them had seminary training. None of them went to yeshiva. None of them were educated in formal institutions. They were chosen by God, and when he chooses, he equips. What matters to Adonai is what he sees inside of you. It's your heart. He knows your potential and what you can become. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 For you will not be raised to power by those in the east or the west or the desert. Since God is the judge, it is he who puts down one and lifts up another. Too many are waiting for an opportunity or even worse, are waiting for someone to give them a ministry. The truth is our entire life is an opportunity, but we must clearly hear the voice of Adonai to know what to do and when. I was 36 years old when Adonai clearly spoke to me, and two years later, we hosted our first Shabbat service and started Congregation Zion's sake. I had little formal training and certainly felt underqualified. I was not a very good speaker in the beginning, and I'm shocked that anybody even stayed with us through those early years. But I worked at it. I prayed diligently, sought the Lord, and He worked on our behalf. Many biblical leaders started out average. After David was anointed by Shmuel to be the next king of Israel, he went back to tending sheep. After Yosef had a supernatural divine dream, he was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers, then put into prison for years. Yeshua himself was 30 years old before he began walking in his destiny, performing miracles, the miracles that proved he was the Mashiach that would culminate in his death and resurrection to redeem all humanity, his life's purpose. Let's look at eight ways Adonai raised up Gideon to be a national leader. When Adonai called Gideon to deliver Israel from the clutches of the Midianites, He was a coward, an unbeliever, and he had a negative self-concept. When Adonai gave a powerful, decisive victory over the Midianites, we see a strong, brave, courageous, confident Gideon through the guiding power of Adonai. Let's look at these principles Adonai used in raising up the leader, Gideon, which comes from Judges chapters 6 through 8. Number one, Adonai encouraged Gideon. When the angel of Adonai visits Gideon, he's threshing wheat in the wine press. This is almost impossible because you need a breeze to thresh wheat. So he's down in a vat hiding from the Midianites who would come and plunder the crops every harvest. Here's how the angel greeted him in Judges 6.12. The angel of Adonai appeared to him and said to him, You valiant hero, Adonai is with you. Adonai calls the fearful, the frightful Gideon a valiant hero before he becomes courageous and brave. Words of encouragement are extremely necessary in working with people. They develop trust. Even if you haven't done anything like Gideon, encouragement will prepare you for the great accomplishments done in Adonai. Number two, Adonai teaches him to trust in him. Gideon's response to the angel's greeting was sharp. It's critical. It's replete with frustration towards Adonai. In Judges 6, verse 13, Gideon says, Excuse me, sir, answered Gideon, but if Adonai is with us, then why is all this happening to us? And where are all his miracles our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't Adonai bring us up from Egypt? For now, Adonai has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. This reveals profoundly that Gideon did not know the word. He didn't know that Israel was given over to Midian because of their idolatry and disobedience. 
The angel of the Lord powerfully ignores his complaint and doesn't address his comments. Knowing his potential, Adonai immediately tells him what to do through the angel. In Judges 6, verse 14, Adonai turned to him and said, Go in the strength of yours and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Haven't I sent you? Adonai chose a simple, young, unschooled, untrained Gideon to deliver Israel from their enemies, whose army was as numerous as the sand on the seashores. Gideon was untrained and powerless, yet because Adonai sent him, the victory was assured, but he had to be obedient. Every one of us has a divine commission from Adonai. When it's from Adonai, it's impossible for you to do, yet with Adonai, all things are possible. The truth must motivate us to those who we seek to raise up as future leaders. Number three, Adonai insists. He doesn't give in. Though Adonai gave Gideon a divine calling and assured him of his presence with him, Gideon apologizes for not having the necessary abilities and resources. In Judges 6, verse 15, But Gideon answered him, Forgive me, my Lord, but with what am I to save Israel? Why, my family is the poorest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest person in my father's house. Adonai does not give in. Like Moshe arguing with Adonai about leading Israel out of slavery, he promises Gideon once more that he will be with him and give him the victory. In Judges 6, verse 16, Adonai said to him, Because I will be with you, you will strike down Midian as easily as if they were just one man. When Adonai gives you a calling, one must move forward with whatever resources at hand. Adonai will be with you and provide what you need. Again, he equips and provisions those whom he calls. Number three, Adonai give Gideon a task to test him. Before sending him to battle the Midianites, Adonai commanded Gideon to remove the idols from his father's house. Now remember, this is the very reason for Israel's oppression by the Midianites to begin with, and build a proper altar to Adonai and offer a sacrifice. In Judges 6, verses 25 through 26, that very night, Adonai said to him, Take your father's bull and the other bull, the seven-year-old. Destroy the altar to Baal that belongs to your father. Cut down the sacred pole next to it, verse 26, and build a proper altar to Adonai your God on top of this strong point. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering using the wood of the sacred pole you cut down. Gideon took ten of his servants and did what Adonai commanded him to do. He didn't do it by day because he was afraid of the men in his father's household and those from the the city. So he did it at night, but Gideon obeyed. Adonai both tested Gideon's obedience to him while increasing his trust in Adonai, overcoming his fear. After this incident, we read in verse 34 of Judges 6, the spirit of Adonai covered Gideon. When he found out that the enemy's army had surrounded the land, he took the initiative and called on the tribes of Israel to go and fight with him. We can never know our true abilities without being given tasks and tested by Adonai like he did with Gideon. It's often surprising to know what Adonai can do through us. Number five, Adonai tolerates his immaturity. It seems certain that Adonai has called Gideon, yet his next move shows immaturity. Gideon tests Adonai with a fleece. In verse 36, Gideon said to God, If you're going to save Israel through me, as you said you would, Adonai already told Gideon he wanted him to deliver Israel, and that he would be with him. Gideon knew, yet doubted Adonai, or refused to believe him, or both. In Judges 6, verse 37, Then there I will lay a wool of fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew in the fleece, only while all the ground stays dry, I will be convinced that you will save Israel through me, as you said you would. This reveals Gideon's spiritual immaturity. Yet Adonai is patient with him, and he performs the fleece. We must be wary of both immaturity and doubt. Number six, Adonai gives Gideon clear, concise instructions. Adonai directs how to choose his soldiers with whom to go to battle. We read in Judges 7, verses 2 through 7, how God gives him very clear instructions. 
Why? Because he said, I don't want Israel to be able to boast against me. We saved ourselves by our own strength. Out of 32,000 men, Gideon is left with only 300. He first sends anyone away who is anxious or afraid home. Then the ones that knelt to drink water from the river like dogs went home, leaving the 300 who cupped the water and brought it to their mouth to drink. Leaders in the kingdom must be obedient and do what Adonai says to do. I have shared this several times in these Kadima talks over the years. I know many, many men and women of God who have come and shared with me of direct visions, commands, and instructions that God has given them to do, but almost all of them fail because they don't do what they were told to do. They get involved in other things. They, they get their own training involved, and they, they make, excuse me, what we just call it Miller dog and pony shows, and uh, just simply do what Adonai said to do. Number seven, Adonai defeats Midian. As promised, Adonai was with Gideon in the battle and gave him a crushing victory over the Midianites. Gideon, with the 300 brave men, did not even have swords or daggers. They witnessed how Adonai fought for them. Their courage, strength, and bravery was their trust in Adonai. In Judges 7, 19 through 22, Gideon and the 100 men with him arrived at the edge of the camp a little before midnight, just after they had changed the guard. They blew the shofars and broke in pieces the pitchers that were in their hands. All three companies blew their shofars, broke the pitchers, and held the torches in their left hands, keeping their right hands free for the shofars they were blowing. And they shouted the sword for Adonai and for Gideon. Then as every man stood in place around the camp, the whole camp was thrown into a panic with everyone screaming and trying to escape. Gideon's men blew the 300 shofars, and Adonai caused everyone in the camp to attack his comrades, and the enemy fled beyond Bet Shita near Zetarah as far as the border of El Mechola by Tabat. Gideon's personal encounter with Adonai influenced 300 people who trusted in Adonai's power. Others must see our trust in Adonai so that they can experience his victories with us. Influencing others is the heart and essence of true biblical leadership. And lastly, number eight, Adonai gave Gideon freedom of choice like we all have. This is a warning. At the peak of his success as Israel's deliverer, Gideon made a grave mistake that would become a snare and bring misfortune upon his family, turning them back to idolatry, which was the reason for Israel's oppression from Midian. From the gold of Midian, he made an ephod and put it in his house, and he made it a place for fornication to all the people. In Judges 8, verses 26 and 27, they replied, We're glad to give them to you. They spread out a robe, and each man threw in the earrings from his booty. The gold earrings he requested weighed more than 42 pounds. And this doesn't include the crescents, pendants, and purple cloth worn by the kings of Midian and the chains around their camels' necks. Out of these things, Gideon made a ritual vest, which he located in the city, Ophrah, but all Israel turned it into an idol there, and thus it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Again, Gideon did this out of ignorance, out of lack of knowledge of Adonai's word. It was his responsibility to study Torah and what that word says and know it and obey it. Adonai raised Gideon up as a great leader. He did a great work through him. Adonai still gave him free choice, which cost Gideon and his family. It's a lesson we must all learn. Ignorance isn't a valid excuse for sin. No matter how profound, how great, or how supernatural the works Adonai does in our lives, we must always be vigilant to obey, to submit to his word, and to live according to his instructions and commands. It's the only way Adonai can raise up leaders. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you, and that it be sowed into your heart, and that you rise up to the destiny and leadership that Adonai has for you. Shalom. Shalom.